Most of us know how much a dog adds to our everyday enjoyment of life. But how many of us are aware of what a specially trained service dog can do for caregiving? More specifically, are you aware that dogs, like golden retrievers, can be trained to be dementia service dogs? I've had dogs all my life, and I did not know that this was possible. Certainly, my dogs are sweet, but help with mom? Never. From interrupting repetitive behaviors, calming anxiety, fetching dropped items, to escorting a lost loved one back home, a dementia service dog can be a huge benefit in caring for our loved ones. Welcome to Fading Memories, a supportive podcast for those of us caring for a loved one with memory loss. Welcome back to Fading Memories. I hope you guys had a fantastic last week. Are you following us on social media? If you're not, you definitely should. I post things daily, helpful information, cute dog photos, and more. Also, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube page, Fading Memories Podcast. I post specific bonus content on YouTube that you will not get anywhere else. Enough of the sales pitch. Now let's get on to the show. For those who are following me on social media, you know that I recently posted a quiz on how well you know your Fading Memories host. That's me. The three people with the most correct answers were number one, Terry Thornson, who got all five correct. But don't despair. She's my neighbor. You may remember Terry and her dog Bella from the episode Unconditional Love, all about therapy dogs. Our next two people got the same number of answers correct, and I hope I get the name pronounced correctly. We've got Romaine Triuda Rensier and Lizzie Allen. So thanks for playing along with me, and for the rest of you, join us again the next time I have a quiz. So I had not heard of canine caregivers. I'm sure people are aware of therapy dogs. They go into hospitals or nursing homes and they kind of just provide comfort. Service dogs can do all kinds of just daily tasks and they can also just facilitate. They can be trained to keep the, you know, Alzheimer's patients safe and out of harm's way and guide them. So we were just curious if, if you've seen that role at all or if that's something that we would we, we should be raising more awareness about oh no definitely raising more awareness physical things i can understand how a dog can help with that but when you can't remember that you fed the dog three times because my mom also had dogs all hurt well most of her life and up until august 2018 she had her poodle in the memory residence with her so what traits does a dog need to have before they can be considered for training to be a canine caregiver? Oh, we just talked about this one, Ben. Yes. I'm going to start with a couple things that dogs can definitely be used for. And I'm going to start with the search and rescue one, tracking one first. Okay. That one is something that already exists in the communities right now and can be utilized. It drives me bonkers because I'm on a search and rescue team. And, you know, our search and rescue team does tracking, trailing, and uh, cadaver search, you know, the two that really um, 
I think need more, first off, more awareness are the search and rescue teams because it happens to me all the time. I'll be sitting around and, hey, so-and-so is missing. A kid's missing. An Alzheimer's patient wandered off. And my son-in-law almost invariably calls me up and says, Ben, why don't you go search for that person? And I'm like, hey, I'm a deputy search and rescue person. And I cannot just go out and self-deploy. I just can't go out and look for those people. And it drives me crazy that our local law enforcement don't use us in the capacity. In the, we have tracking and trailing dogs that could very easily go find Alzheimer's patients who, you know, who wander off. And I know there's GPS things that they have and all other kind of stuff, but a, a dogs can definitely help in that capacity very easily. Would you say that it's it's a lack of knowledge that they just don't know enough a about lot of times it abilities? Is. Yeah, a lot of times it is. Sometimes it's just political, right? And I think it's really important for your viewers, Jennifer, to go, hey, look, you know what? Why don't you call in the search and rescue? There's a lot of places that do a really good job with that, but there's also places that don't use them at all. And it's, you know, I know that, like, for instance, in our community, we have probably four search and rescue dogs that could find Alzheimer's patients very quickly. And even in urban environments, you know, a lot of times we think of search and rescue, we think in the middle of the mountains somewhere, but in an urban environment, they can, there's a lot of dogs that are very good at trailing, can track down people who are missing of any flavor in any environment. They can, they smell very well. So I think it's really important, but I would think it'd be really important if, you know, you have a, someone who is missing or, you know, have, has a tendency to wander off, you know, know what the, what the resources in your community are in relation to that. And then, you know, ask those law enforcement to utilize those resources. They exist. They're there. They, they would love to help. That's what they're there for. I would love to get a call to, to go help. And I don't, I don't need news coverage. I don't need anything. The dog, my, I don't know. I talk about Siggy all the time. Siggy loves to work and it would just be one big game for her. And she would love to go help. You know, well, and it's important when even in mild cold temperatures like we're having now, if you get wet from the rain and you're now you're damp and the temperature drops, you know, you can have hypothermia rapidly and the dog is going to be able to find you a whole lot faster than humans. It's really simple. And, it, and um, the training isn't that I mean, the training is extensive, but there's lots of people who do it all the time. I believe it. And I know just for listeners who may or may not be super familiar with dogs, if you're familiar with a bloodhound and they got those long droopy ears, those droopy ears, when they're sniffing the ground, sweep up the scents up into their nose. And that's one of the reasons that bloodhounds are great trackers. Yes. I didn't know that. Like I said, I've had dogs all my life and I knew bloodhounds weren't real smart. I grew up with poodles and golden retrievers and we're on our fourth, fifth and sixth golden retriever. Number six, who's almost two is wicked smart. They all keep getting smarter. So dog number seven is going to be telling me what to do. Well, I have a dog that tells me what to do all the time. And we have two goldens on our team, on our search and rescue teams. And the thing about goldens, like Siggy as a German shepherd, who's my dog, doesn't like other people, right? I mean, she's, she'll tolerate you, but you're just, you're the background to her. But goldens just love to interact with people and that's what they're bred to do. And so they make also really good live finds, you know, tra- tracking and trailing dogs. So um, the different here, I'll go, I'll go a little bit, I'll go a little bit deep on you, Jennifer. So the bloodhound is a tracker, knows the ground, looking at your footprints, sniffing your footprints. A lot of goldens are what we call trailers. They get their head up and they, they don't, their nose is not necessarily on the ground. 
is generally in the air looking for air rafts going through. And so Goldens make excellent trailing dogs. So German Shepherds can do either. Commonly, you'll see them do both. The thing about a bloodhounds are, and I'm going to offend all my bloodhound people, <laughs> they are dumber than a post. Like they're like, you know, uh, that we all love bloodhounds. We all love watching the old Westerns that where the bloodhound is tracking and that's what they're designed to do. And they're great at it. And we have some, we have some, we have a bloodhound on our team and I love just, I love it when they just start, you know, start wailing and howling like they're on a trail and they get all excited. It's a lot of fun. Um, so, but anyway, then the, the trailing dogs, the ones that really can just cut down and find the people really fast. So a, tra- a tracking dog is really, really important for establishing, you know, you probably, you know, direction of direction, of, uh, direction of travel and all those kind of things. So anyway, those are really important components. One, one thing I, somebody told me recently that I thought was interesting and I wish I could have somewhat experimented with this with my mom, but if a person with memory loss goes missing, they generally walk in the direction of their dominant hand. So if they leave their front door, they will probably go to the right. Now, the reason that I, and it makes sense really, but where my parents lived to the left and across the street, just a smidgen was, is an elementary school to the right is it's like a little opening where the street was supposed to go through. And then there's more houses down the street. So there's, I would think it would have been 50, 50 with my mom. She might've gone right because that's the direction the dog would generally go over to the open space where people walk their dogs. So there's lots of sense, but then there's the school with all the kids that she loves to watch. So it was, it was interesting. And it's, it'd be something to kind of see, like if you just, walk out front with your loved one, which direction do they generally kind of lean towards was interesting, but well, that information is really helpful when you're talking about dogs because they, they, they will actually, they can tell that, you know, you think they they do struggle on, you know, hard surfaces like concrete and asphalt, but they have a pretty good sense that they can, they can do a pretty good job there. So the other things that dogs can do, and there are Alzheimer's dogs, they're not as they're not as prevalent as some of the other service dogs. Like you, your friend, you you mentioned with the, the diabetic detection dogs, diabetes is also a really really common disease, and, and that's also increasing based on you know some of the our diet and other things that are really really bad for us. But so some of the things that we that we can train dogs to do with that Alzheimer's, and I suspect it's it's probably early more early than late onset. So, um, dogs are really good at behavior interruption, which I, um, you're going to have to explain if that's, I, I'm, I haven't had the, the misfortune of having to train or deal with caregiving of Alzheimer's patients yet. Um, <laughs> Cross your fingers. <laughs> yes, exactly. But behavior interruption is something we can, we can train very easily into dogs. And so if there's something that and I know this is very common and I've seen a lot of videos on from students in this where they have the, the Alzheimer's patient will get into routines that are really not good for them. And you can train the dog to interrupt and disrupt repetitive or behaviors that would be dangerous that you can kind of anticipate, which a golden would be a perfect dog for this type of you know, just interrupting, you know, so helping out. <laughs> I laugh because, well, my, do- my dogs have me trained. The girl dog who's four and a half, she's laying in the hallway. I'm coming down, 
you know, from one part of the house to the other. She just rolls over, flips the back leg open and looks at me like, you will scratch me. <laughs> Do not walk by without paying toll. And she knows it works. She is so smart. She knows when I'm making dinner that if she sits up real tall and she smiles and her eyes sparkle, I don't know how she manages that one. And she can see both of my eyes. She knows she, I can see her and she knows that she, I know she's begging and it well, almost part of it works. Yeah. That's she, part of it because what, when, you know, I mean, obviously they can pull, they can pull the patient out of just behaviors. They can also put people into routines and they can relax them and calm them, which I suspect are all really, really important when we're talking about, dealing with and because we see this all the time with other with other diseases as well when they do that so well there's something soothing just for everybody about petting the dog is it's soothing it brings your blood pressure down yep and, and some, some some of the patients get to be combative I've seen that also mm-hmm. combative and they can dogs can absolutely help calm and break the cycle of that process that escalation process. Yeah, so. I learned recently one trigger for like being combative. Mm-hmm. And if you think about if your processor is not working right mm-hmm. and somebody helps, you know, they, they come in your room first thing in the morning and they say, hi, Ben, how is, how are you doing? Did you sleep well? And they're just like all chipper and they're in your face asking questions and you're trying to like function like, you know how we are first thing in the morning before we've had our caffeine? Mm-hmm. Well, if your brain is even worse than that and somebody's just in your face and your brain is not processing what they're saying, it'd be like, get away from me. And so they have yes. a tendency to shove people or yell or run away, you know, and it's all, it's, it's amazing how somebody with Alzheimer's can totally pick up on your emotions. You didn't have to say a word. I think that's one reason that dogs can be so good with them because they are also very attuned to the person's emotions. Like my youngest golden, if you cry, he will crawl up in your lap and he, he's a small golden. So he weighs about 60 pounds. So 60 pounds in your lap's a little much, but he will crawl in your lap and lick your face and wag his tail and he'll do everything he can to, to end the crying. Which, of course, he's male, so there's probably that, too. (laughs) And that's what they're good at, right? That's what they're good at. Well, golden retrievers, they don't know anybody that's not the next best friend (laughs) or food dispenser. (laughs) That's true. So how can these canine caregivers get owners home? I read in the article they can remain with the owner and bark for help if the owner refuses to go home. Absolutely. These are all these, and these are all skills that... Uh, that existing service dogs are very easily trained to do. Their dogs are very easily trained to keep you on track and they can be used to, you know, if you're going the wrong way, they can lead you the right way. They can bark. They can find help. They can help you cross the street. They can keep you safe until, you know, and you can put a GPS tracker on your dog. You can use the dog as a tether so that, you know, the dog will follow, you know, let's say you have, you're taking your mom out and you can have, the dog on a leash with your mom and the dog will just follow you as a tether. And so there's, and you can have it, or you can just have a second leash attached, you know, and then you're not, you know, you're not worried about your mom can have a little bit of freedom mm-hmm. and a little bit of enjoyment and not be feel like, you know, Hey, they're micromanaging my, where I am, but you can have a little bit of freedom to know that you're not, you know, 
going to lose your mom in the middle of, you know, target or something or, you know, wherever you're, wherever you're doing something. So, or a festival or, you know, something like that. So they're, they're really good at, the, at those type of things as well. And, you know, the other thing that they're really good at, and Michelle probably could talk to this is they're just really good companions because a lot of times I suspect that Alzheimer's patients are very isolated and they feel isolated and that can be there for my, my grandfather, uh, ha, got, he got a little bit too crazy of a dog, but <laughs> He got a puppy, which, you know, and he, and he suffers from diabetes and he's very isolated after, especially after my grandmother passed away. And that dog is just his best friend. And I think that's a really, really important component of, of the process as well. So it is, and it helps them if they are still independent enough to go out and walk and meet the neighbors. It also helps keep them social that way, gives them something social to do which yes. is good. Unfortunately for my mom's dog, she didn't, well, my dad was never good at walking her and my mom was very good at, rem- at remembering that the dog needed to eat. <laughs> she never right. remembered that the dog had eaten. So the poor dog should have weighed about 15 pounds and was rapidly approaching 30. So, <laughs> yeah. She was this a black, black miniature poodle and she was like a tank. <laughs> this is why I like German Shepherds. My German Shepherds, I can just free feed and they don't have to worry. They, they don't, they won't overeat. So you could just have, you know, you just have unlimited food, unlimited water, and they just eat whenever they need to. I had my first two goldens were like that, but let's see. First two, so four, three, four, five, and six. They go in there, they suck up the food like a high powered vacuum, come in the kitchen, burp at you, and stare at you like, yo, where's dinner? <laughs> it's pretty funny there was a time this shows you how smart these dogs are my husband and I went out to dinner daughter was studying she said can you bring me back some to go okay great so when we got home the dog looked at me looked at where the dog food is looked at me looked where okay hello I'm hungry and I thought oh well she normally feeds them when she eats she hasn't eaten so she hasn't fed the dog so I didn't bother asking fed the dogs she heard the kibble hit the bowls and the food was gone before she could holler, I already fed the dog. <laughs> and there was one day they almost got three dinners because they conned two of us and they were working on the third person. First and the third, that. yeah, and it was like, and they were Oscar award winning, you know, acting because they acted like they had not been fed. Of course. That's and, my dog. I call him a hobbit. He okay. wants second breakfast and second dinners and oh yeah. Well, the funniest thing is my oldest, he loves pancakes. We have pancakes and scrambled eggs on Mondays before we go to spin. When we come home, we unlock the door. We're like literally one foot in the door, not, not measurement wise, but like one foot is in the doorway and he's down the hall to the kitchen and he's looking at the counter and he looks at you and he looks at the counter and he's like, yo, give me the pancake. Give me the pancake. I'm ready. I'm ready. Oh, and, and he knows. And it's, and if we go in the same type of clothes to the gym and we come home, it doesn't have to, you know, it confuses him. And he's like, wait, they're wearing spin clothes. There must be pancakes. It's just the correlation is hysterical. Yes. They're very good at classical conditioning. You can- <laughs> that is true. And they're very good at training you. Oh so yes. Very classical conditioning. So they, uh, they definitely understand that and they definitely can take advantage of that whole scenario. So the 
other thing I, w- I was curious about what your thoughts on would be uh, w- there's an entirely emerging field and and I say emerging it's 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 getting quite popular but therapy dogs in, in institutionals we talked with Lorette uh, the other day uh, on a podcast where she's training more and more institutional dogs to just help and I was curious if you've seen that or if you think that would be a, a very valuable sort of resource for some of these uh, large facilities? I have not. My mom is in a large residence. There's the assisted living, which I don't know how many apartments that is. And then the memory care is about 32 residents if they're fully occupied. I think it could help because there's, there's one gal where my mom lives whose go-to phrases, help me, help me, somebody help me. Mm -hmm. And there are times I, I've now gotten accustomed to it. I make sure if I'm there and I've heard her say that multiple times and she's in her room, I make sure the care staff is aware and they'll be like, oh yeah, we just checked on her 10 minutes ago. Okay, just double checking. Right. That's you know, a, a little unnerving when somebody, and it's it's a monotone. She's not yelling. It's just like a, con, a continuous monotone. Help me, help me. And it's, ugh, after you've heard that for about five minutes, <laughs> You want to help her any way you can. Absolutely. I would think a dog could help soothe her. Whatever is triggering the, I need attention, therefore I need help. There's something going on in her mind that's triggering the, help me, help me, I need help. This is one of the reasons we're really excited about talking about this topic. Because I, I, the, you know, these are not cheap dogs, right? I don't, I, um, they're expensive and I don't think anyone is, but they're an important, they could be an important tool for those kind of scenarios. If you could put in an institutional dog to help that, you know, you could just leave the dog with the person for a little bit and help, you know, soothe that patient. You, you can imagine a golden retriever or a lab or some of these other, you know, even some like a Papillon or some of these other small dogs, lap dogs would be very, very helpful in just breaking those cycles of, you know, that they that, that some of the patients get into. So the only thing I that I would see as a challenge besides the cost, and I used to photograph a local um, police department's canines. Uh huh. So I'm aware of the cost. <laughs> yes. And they, they have, this is going to cost about you know sometimes it's twenty to uh, upwards of sixty thousand dollars to train some of these dogs. So it's not well, cheap. I know when they bought them, and we're talking probably a dozen years ago when I was working with them, they were like ten grand. So that doesn't surprise me. Although sixty makes me want to faint just a little bit. It does. Um, I see two things. My mom had her dog, and there was another resident in the memory care who had his two little dogs. He's actually moved over to the assisted living side, which is interesting. I don't know how you graduate to that, but it, it's definitely better for him. Mm-hmm. Um, his mind is not great, but he's he was still really independent. Mm-hmm. But I noticed with those three dogs, mom and Xavier's dogs, a lot of the other residents who weren't dog people, maybe didn't have dogs of their own growing up or as you know adults, Sometimes we're a little standoffish. They didn't want the dog come near them. Don't want the dog lick me. They seem to have a little bit of fear. I can see that. Yeah. So that would be one thing. I'm not sure how you like. We don't use German Shepherds to start off. That's for sure. (laughs) Or Belgian Malinois. Yeah. Yeah. You get a Malinois in there to be 
it'd be a terrorist organization, you know, terrorist type situation. Yeah. No, you'd have to have a uh, fluffy golden retriever with their happy faces. I see that as being a little bit of a challenge. And with people who are memory impaired, I don't know how you, how you would fix that fix, not necessarily being the best word, but on the flip side of the coin, I see a dog being very beneficial to the care staff because when you've listened to somebody yelling, you know, help me, help me, help me, help me for half an hour. Yes. You know, there is not enough training to make it so that your nerves don't just want to go in there and help her. (laughs) And so, and it gets to the point where they don't ignore it. They kind of like tune out 75% of it. So there's still, tuned into her if something changes. But well, that's if you had an institutional, I mean, you, you wouldn't necessarily have to have uh, that person, that patient wouldn't necessarily have to have a dog themselves, but you could have an institutional dog, bring the dog in. And that's where those repetitive behaviors, right? That help me, help me would be a repetitive behavior. And you could take that dog and help teach that dog to break that repetitive behavior as an institutional dog. And you wouldn't that would necessarily- be great. Yeah, wouldn't it? You could just bring that dog in there, that dog, you know, simple things like licking faces or, you know, the person reaches down to pet are going to, you know, get that person out of that, you know, spiraling cycle of whatever behavior is. I mean, they, you know, and you can train a service dog to shut off lights and pick up remotes and all those kind of things too that, that normal service dogs do. But as an instant, so everybody wouldn't have to have a third, you know, a, an Alzheimer's service dog, if you did an institution-wide one, that would be an amazing resource for facilities. I can totally see that because the way my mom's uh, residence is shaped, it's basically a square, and in the middle is a beautiful courtyard. Now, the challenge with my mom, with any of the dogs, is there wasn't a dog door. So somebody had to let my mom's dog out, Mm -hmm. and because of... The fact that my dad insisted on getting a puppy when they shouldn't have. <laughs> I, I begged him to get a, go to poodle rescue. It is a, it is a challenge. People love puppies. Puppies are fine. And then they grow into their teenagers and no one likes, I always say this to her, no one likes a teenage dog. No one. You have to be crazy to like it. You know, like from the point that they're probably six months to 18 months, to two years, they are, they're an awkward teenager. And that's just, there's no two ways about that. So true. My youngest, we got at seven months and he was, he's a rescue. Mm-hmm. He was living outside with his brothers. So he loves very much the comforts of home and the nice food and the bed and all that stuff. Open the back door to the 400 plus acres of open space. And it takes him literally four seconds or less to go from inside the house to over the back fence. Right. And he chases the bunnies and the birds and he just runs and he runs and he runs. And I don't know that he will ever get over being wild. He's got that wild streak. And then like I was getting out of the shower after the gym this morning and he's taking a nap on his doggy bed. I'm like, I don't understand you. You're like a little schizophrenic, (laughs) but he's totally a love. Oh my God. He's, I mean, you can train that out. You can train that out of dogs. Um, it's possible. I just have German shepherds who don't ever want to leave me. It's just that, that genetically, they don't, they, they're not going to like, Siggy's not going to go more than 20 feet from me or she's, then she's going to come back and check with me, make sure I'm okay. Oh, well, my I, oldest, my oldest one is three feet. 
He is a total Absolutely. mama's dog. And Absolutely. so he's, they, I, the other day I was working on my computer and he's literally laying under the office chair with his head on the leg. Just not at all comfortable, I would think. Doesn't look comfortable. And, you know, after a while I'm like, I think it's very insulting that I am working here and there is serious snoring going on under my chair. I'd like to take a nap or do something other than work. Yes. And so I leaned over because I have my iPhone next to me at my computer so I can listen to podcasts if I'm not listening to my, and editing my own. And I just leaned over. It wasn't easy. And I snapped a picture kind of blind of him. And I got a little video too. I'm like, seriously, dog, like, you got to be snoring under the chair. Absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, no, I see that um, if you have a resident, a care residence, where like where my mom lives if you had somebody in the assisted living that could come over and maybe bring the dog during the day although I can see a lot of times they'd need him at night I don't know how a dog do you think a dog would um function okay if they lived in the memory care 24 7 yeah okay so dogs don't have to here's the cool part dogs don't we have a kind of a, t- a thing to think that, or a tendency to anthropomorphize on dogs. Meaning, we say that if if I like it, then the dog is going to like it. Just like um, you know, you were anthropomorphizing about your dog not working. Yes. I do that all the time. We do that all the time. I do that all the time. Everyone does that all the time. Here's the thing about dogs: dogs can be in a crate a, a long time, and it will not affect them at all. So at night, you can log your log the dog up in a crate. And they're actually really happy. That, that's their home. That's their comfort zone. They're perfectly comfortable and happy being there. They get tons of stimulation during the day, and you can lock them up at night. And some people are like, oh, that's cruel. Oh, that. But the dog does not mind it at all. In fact, some, like my dog, uh, Odin, he has, we give him the, op- the option where to sleep. He chooses to sleep in his crate every single night. He can sleep on our bed with us. <laughs> He would rather not. <laughs> whatever, whatever floats <laughs> your boat. So there are plenty of dogs who would be perfectly com- comfortable just going. And he's a dog. He's a total social butterfly. He loves us. He loves actually snuggling with us. But at night, he likes to have his space. He likes to be in his crate. He likes, you know, to be able to move around. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's soothing for them. So, and you know, you can get into a lot of psychology. Uh, Temple Grandin does a really good discussion of this when she talks about cows and some of the other things, some of these behaviors and that the dogs have dogs are fine in a crate. So you can, you know, the night staff, if they felt like they needed, they could bring them out. But if they didn't, if they want, if they need a break, dogs can just go, the institutional dog could just go in their crate and be fine. You know, for hours on end, they don't have to be, you don't have to entertain the dogs. That's the cool part. So. Because I was reading in your article that they can also help with sundowners, but I don't remember it specifically saying why, how they did that. Are you familiar with sundowners? I don't recall. I don't know. I'm not familiar with it. You want to describe it to me? It usually happens towards the end of the day, generally around sundown. Now, if you think about sunset time, so like right when the world is in between daytime and nighttime, Uh kind of flat there's not a lot of contrast. That probably makes more sense to Michelle being a photographer. Yep, that they twilight seem, hour, yes. Yeah, they seem to get more confused. Okay. And 
sometimes the confusion can be pretty wild. Sure. I've only experienced it a little bit with my mom. We were driving from my hometown to hers. I took the back route, which is windy, twisty roads around the hills and very few streetlights. It's all country kind of road. And man, the questions she started asking me were really crazy. (laughs) Just like out of the blue. And it was when my dad was in the hospital before he came home on hospice. So I was stressed and I didn't need all these wackadoodle questions. Sure. I mean, if you think about that time of day and the lighting, it can be very confusing to clear-minded people. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's harder to see, it's harder to differentiate between, um, a dog and a dark dog in a road, for exactly. instance, you know, it's, so I can definitely understand how that can be very, very confusing and very disorienting. I can tell you exactly how dogs can help with this. So I don't know if your dogs do this, Jennifer or Michelle, but Siggy knows my routine down to the second. Yes. I know yes. that way too. Yes. <laughs> so it wouldn't matter what was going on. I, I, you know, I turn around in the morning after I've had my breakfast, I turn around and Siggy's not anywhere around and I go and I, I can find her in the bathroom. She's waiting for me to take a shower. I have a routine. She knows exactly what's next. <laughs> you can train a dog to do follow a routine and help mitigate all kinds of confusion. And they can also, you know, take if there's if the, if the patient is exhibiting any kind of confusion behavior, you could train them to take them to the hospital staff, or you could train them to do you know, or to the administrative staff, or whatever. You there's tons of things like that that dogs can you know, triggers and and routines and all those things. Dogs could absolutely be helpful in mitigating and and solving those kind of problems. So it's interesting. Back. Many of the residents where my mom lives mm-hmm. are not. They're not super social. Most of them are fairly, well, no, a few of them are in wheelchairs. My mom's next door neighbor, she she walks. I don't want to say she's a wanderer because she can't wander off, Mm -hmm. but she walks, you know, every inch of the residence, but she doesn't really speak. She mumbles and she's Mm -hmm. Irish. So what she mumbles sometimes is not English. <laughs> if you listen carefully and and cross your fingers really hard, sometimes she'll pop out an English word, and sometimes you can grab it and maybe respond to her in some sort of reasonable way because she knows exactly what she's saying or asking right. you. And you look at her and you're like, eh, "I have no clue what you're saying." It's frustrating to her, and I would think that I don't know if she's a dog person because I can't ask. I can't remember her interacting with my mom's dog, but I could see throwing the ball for the dog or just interacting with the dog would at least give her something else to do besides roam around. I mean, they just renovated this past summer. And I swear that woman's going to wear out the carpet again. It's just like she just goes around and around and around. Dogs are very good at also just reading your emotions. And mm-hmm. so you can imagine you're communicating with them in a foreign language and your body language means a lot. And her body language, the dogs can be very easily trained to interact and interface when she's having, a, you know, those kind of situations. So I, I honestly think that would be a very, very valuable tool in the tool, tool belt of, you know, in those kind of environments, not, not in, in a huge institutional environment as well as just maybe not in, in late stage Alzheimer's where, you know, you're going to forget to feed the dog. That would be a bad 
I think that'd be a, a situation where you'd have to step in. Well, that was the problem with Holly, or Holly was the previous dog. Misty was my mom's dog. And the reason that she was almost double her body weight is because the residents fed her from the table. The dog didn't eat dog food. Sure. Because we had put in place, mom had been there about six months, close to six months. And the executive director and the med techs and myself, we put together a plan to feed the dog properly. Yeah. And it was the dogs would remain in the, in the room during mealtime. The med techs would feed her twice a day because that's what dogs need. And they knew how much to feed her. Yeah, that took all of hmm, half of a meal, if that long, before the dog realized she was getting left out. And she shrieked and howled and carried on. You would have thought somebody had released the hellhound. Oh my goodness. Oh, she was terrible. And the, oh, and being small, she like shriek, bark and howl. It was, oh, it was horrible. I mean, they would make a great Halloween soundtrack. Absolutely. So of course all these, you know, very sweet old ladies would be, would feel terrible for this dog who's being horribly mistreated and they'd let her out and sure. then they'd feed her. I mean, they would actually like one lady cut up half of the meat from her, di- from her meal and wrapped it in the napkin, which happens to be cloth. So they are, don't really want you to run it off with those and was going to feed it to the dog and the care staff, you know, the gals, they knew the routine and they're like, oh, no, no, honey, it's okay. Misty had her food. She had lunch. And it almost got into a, it started to get into an argument. And obviously, the line between being insistent and bordering on potential elder abuse is a very, very thin line. So Absolutely. caregivers, they always err if they're good. They will err on the side of caution and not get into, don't st- start a fight with somebody who has no memory. It's not Absolutely. a good idea. So the dog won all the time. But I noticed before we rehomed her that because she did not have structure and discipline, she was getting a little nutty. Absolutely. Dogs really require that. That is a, that is a significant problem with Alzheimer's and some of the elderly, you know, I don't know what we're going to do with my grandfather's dog when he, you know, he's in the late stage diabetic, you know, problems, you know, rehoming these dogs is a really big problem. And I think, you know, it's not realistic for like you to take an, an additional dog sometimes into your home. Right. Well, no. And, and my dogs don't like her. Yeah, absolutely. I don't understand this. I, 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 I don't have, I understand being very loyal to your dogs, but I also don't under, I also have a really hard time with people who are like, well, I'd be insistent on taking the dog into my house. Well, that's not always a great idea. I mean, it'd be like, sometimes it's bringing constant conflict and strife into your house. Your dogs aren't going to like it. That dog's not going to like it. You're not going to like it. Why not find a good, another good home for that dog? It's not good for anybody. It's not good for anybody. And I know there's people out there who are very insistent and very loyal and I'm a very loyal person, but at the same time, you kind of, you know, in these situations, find the best home for the dog that you can, you don't have to suffer through those problems. <laughs> you don't, you don't have to feel guilty about finding a good home for the dog. You don't, I don't, I don't, I just don't buy into that mentality. I don't know why. I don't know I why we have to have that mentality sometimes. Well, it's nice that we do, but sometimes you have to be realistic. And yes. I knew, I mean, my parents hadn't gone out of town in a long time because it was just too traumatic for my mom, Much, you know, it's like you change the dog's routine. Don't change the routine of somebody who's 
about memory issues because they just get all confused and, and then they start to get a little hostile or it's just, it's stressful and it's not fun. Yes. And it's the same with the dogs. Well, my dad got the dog from a breeder. So I called the breeder and said, you need to take her back. Yes. A good breeder will always do that. Yeah, I had to get a little insistent because she was a little flaky on it. And I knew we had a deadline. It's like when they come to put the new carpet in, dog's got to be gone. Yeah. So I had to get a little bit snarky because I basically said, either you come get the dog or let me know where to drop her off or I'm taking her to the pound, which was not, it was not going to do that. I'd already contacted Poodle Rescue yes. and she was 10. So, and she's, you know, she's never had a lot of structure and discipline and she was super overweight and just finding her a home would have been challenging. I do believe that she went to the breeders grandkids farm in Oregon. So I hope she's living out the remainder of her senior years, much happier and healthier. Well, a responsible breeder would do that without any questions. I would do that in a second. Um, It wouldn't even be a question for me. We'd find a place and make it work. And a common that we do rehome play, you know, rehome dogs, but that's just the, the nature of the beast. And it's also something that people need to consider like, okay, should we, my dad got her in 2009 and well, I guess the beginning of 2010, she was born in 2009, I think 2008. I got my dog in 2000. He's 11. So she must've been born in 2009. And I said, you know, I just got done. I just got out of the puppy stage with mine the one that's the oldest of the three now, I'm like, it's exhausting. And I don't have diabetes and I am however many 25 years younger than my dad was. And I just said, I don't really think it's a good idea. Why don't we go to poodle rescue? And he's like, you know, it's all the way down by Celia. I'm like, that's like three hour drive, four hour drive. You have a hybrid. Let's go. I'll go with you. I'll drive your car. It's not a big deal. We'll go. We'll make, it'll be fun. Let's go dad. Absolutely not. And then I fainted because anybody that's bought a purebred dog knows they are not cheap, much cheaper than what you were talking about a few minutes ago. But like just going by size, I got a way better deal on my dog. (laughs) (laughs) I understand. The important part for us is just to raise awareness that this is something it's another avenue for our dogs to impact our lives in a very positive way. And hopefully we can start to raise awareness that this is something that they can improve our lives and we can improve the lives of the dogs as well. Cause dogs like to have jobs as well as we do. You know, they want to like, there's dogs out there that want to engage with us and want to do these things. And so it is meaningful for them and it's meaningful for us. And I, I really appreciate you shedding some insight into, you know, this opportunity for us to raise awareness. And I did read in the article that they can also bring somebody meds in a bite proof package, which is interesting. Absolutely. Yes. Um, you know, you can train your dog not to be, to be, you can train your dog not to eat certain things. It's not, I mean, we do it all the time with German shepherds and um, Siggy. If I, if I wanted Siggy to leave something, I can just tell him to leave it. And it's just, it's just a matter of training, right? You can, you can train a dog to do anything you want. That is true. I think my older, the previous ones were trained a little better when I was younger and had more stamina. Absolutely. I started to get away with the burger. (laughs) Yes, we've all been there. 
can't believe I've, I've had dogs my whole life. I've been in this Alzheimer's journey forever. I can't believe I've never heard of a caregiving canine. <laughs> well, there's yep. so much that dogs can do for patients with dementia and Alzheimer's. And we'll post some of the great articles about this in, in our show notes. But like you said, you know, delivering medicines, reminding them to eat and and yes, I believe you definitely can train a dog to not eat more than they're supposed to. Well, I think people taking care of their family members in their home, I think a dog could be a huge help. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. and I think I'm going to talk to the executive director, mom's place, and, and tell them, hey, what are, have you ever heard of this? And feel them out. Because I really, I really like the idea. I can picture a golden retriever walking around their residence and helping some of the people talk to people who care for their loved ones in their home and because of the memory loss they're not you know it's like I need this now you know oh I'm done with my lunch come get my plate I I need to go to the bathroom now I need that you know there's no patience so if you're trying to work from home like I do and they need assistance, it's an immediate drop what you're doing and go take care of them and that just gets more and more and more so I can see how a dog could help if they had, if they helped interrupt the repetitive behaviors, if you could, in the earlier stages, send them out for a walk and not be in a heightened state of panic until they got back, that would be great. I can just see, I'm just like, I can't believe I've, I've had dogs my whole life. I've been in this Alzheimer's journey forever. I can't believe I've never heard of a caregiving canine. <laughs> well, there's yep. so much that dogs can do for patients with dementia and Alzheimer's. The other thing that they're really good at, and Michelle probably could talk to this, is they're just really good companions. Because a lot of times I suspect that Alzheimer's patients are very isolated and they feel isolated. And that can be their, my, my grandfather uh, ha, got, he got a little bit too crazy of a dog, but <laughs> he got a puppy, which, you know, and he, and he suffers from diabetes and he's very isolated after, especially after my grandmother passed away. And that dog is just his best friend. And I think that's a really, really important component of, of the process as well. So it is, and it helps them if they are still independent enough to go out and walk and meet the neighbors. It also helps keep them social that way, gives them something social to do. I'm just excited that we got to talk about this because like I said, I didn't know there was even, I didn't know they could do all this, which is silly. <laughs> well, that's, we're glad we could help. After my conversation with Ben, I really wanted to get the opinion of somebody who is in charge of an assisted living memory care community. Who better to talk to than Alberto Maldonado, the executive director of Where My Mom Lives. I think you'll enjoy this conversation just a little bit more than normal because, as many caregivers know, sometimes we have to multitask and mom tagged along while I did my talk with Alberto so that we would not be late to her hair appointment. I am with Alberto Maldonado. You might remember him from way back episode about assisted living communities. We're going to talk to Alberto about his thoughts on a canine caregiver here in their facility, their residence. And we also have mom. Can you say hi? Mom. That, that works. <laughs> what mom are you looking for? One's enough. Okay. <laughs> so in my conversation with 
the um, canine care, caregiver people, they were telling me about all of the various things a specifically trained dog could do for residents in a memory resident res, residence in a community like yours. They can help with breaking repetitive behaviors. Mm -hmm. They can help with anxiety mm -hmm. and they can help people, um, people with less severe memory issues. They can take them for walks and the dog is trained to bring them back. I don't know if that's more of a home caring kind of thing than a, a residence like yours. But I wanted to get your opinion on what you thought about the possibility of a dog being here. I'm not suggesting that you guys do it. I'm just asking. Yeah. Well, we find that there are a lot of benefits of, of having uh, canine companions in our community. Um, ultimately, what it boils down for us is uh, the ease of transition. Um, in, in many instances, uh, as you can imagine, um, our, our residents are having a lot of difficulty with the transition process from moving from home to a new environment that's uh, that's apparently a bit more restrictive and not as open as where they used to live. I remember those days. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, honestly, if if having their canine companion with them is a a point of uh, of difference, then by all means, we we want to include that and we want to be able to allow them to have um, you know that that dog that allows them to to have a continuum of life that is that is good oh. for them. Um, you know, in many instances, um, you know, we're asked, "Do you accept dogs?" and and we just we simply ask, "Is is this a situation where um, where the dog may be overbearing for the for the resident?" Um, you know, we want to think of the dog also in those instances. We want to know that they're being provided the care that they need. Mm -hmm. uh, but yes, ultimately, the benefits of of having a canine companion are, are great. Um, obviously, they serve other functions as well. You know, in our memory care unit, uh, we have residents who, who, in their past life, probably had dogs. Uh, and for those of, uh, of us that, that may know our memory care, we have residents who, who have, um, have conditions or behaviors that that may need a little more comforting. And sometimes our canine companions uh, are, are, are the, the difference maker. Um, I, I know in, in mom's case, um, that was also something that we, we looked at. And yeah, I've done that, that a lot of times. <laughs> yeah. I've had dogs all my life. Yeah. And so I take care of them and put them out and let them play for a while, and then I bring them back in. And Yeah. So. And having having a, a companion, a canine companion, um, I'm sure helped ease you know your ability to live here because this is a change of scenery, right? And of what? Change of scenery. This oh, is sure, obviously yeah. a different environment, and yeah. and having someone that comforts you is is uh, I'm sure it's it's it's, uh, it's it's great to your lifestyle. It allows you to. To, to not stress about some of the things that you've worried about. You know, I don't know what those things might right, be for you, yeah. but it definitely well, makes a no, difference. I, I, we live fairly close to one another, so we mm -hmm. know each other very well. Yeah. And, and we're, we know where we're at. Yeah. It's the kind of thing. Yep. Yeah. So. And I'm not concerned. Good. I feel like if they need help, they have the right to call me or or her or somebody to get help. Yep. So what is your thoughts on an actual trained dog to be 
service dog to help with repetitive behaviors, anxiety, lots of stuff. You know, we've never had a service dog in our community, but I would I would venture to think that th- this might be a, you know, a, a, although it's it's not a, a new concept, it, it might be a concept that that assisted livings or any senior living may want to venture into in that this is an added help. Mm-hmm. Um, again, there's so many benefits of having a canine companion, but to, 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 to what you're talking about, you know, when it comes to having an actual service dog that performs duties, uh, I think it's a great feature. And I, and I think that, um, you know, it even lightens our load in some instances, mm-hmm. you know, there are residents who, who have needs that go beyond what we offer. You know, we obviously cannot be with the resident 24 hours a day and there might be a need for the remote mm-hmm. newspaper. Um, you know, there's even service dogs that perform duties of opening refrigerators. And, you know, those are things that I think would be um, would, would be best looked into in, in, in these type of environments. I think the biggest challenge to having one is the expense of the training. Yeah. Um, I used to work with police dogs. I used to photograph them. Mm. And back then they were about 10 grand. They they came to the police department's mo- 90% trained at two years of age at about 10 grand. Mm. And that was uh, 15 plus years ago. So <laughs> yeah. um, I'm wondering, I do know of an organization that's, it's they're tr- they're trying to be like nonprofit to pr- help provide those these type of service dogs yeah. to communities like yours, and so I don't know if I'm willing to dive into that because I have a lot of things I already do, but yeah. I see the benefit of it. And as I mentioned in the prior segment, I've had dogs all my life, and I have golden retrievers, and I did not know that they could be service dogs to people with memory issues. Yeah, I was not aware of that either. But I, I mean, now that we're talking about this, I think it would be a great, great thought. And, and you know, I can imagine several of our residents just having overall uh, comfort in, in the lifestyle that they have if they were to have a service dog. I mean, I, I can I can see several of our residents who, who kind of live a, a linear lifestyle where they're coming from their room to the dining room and back to the room. You know, these are people who would benefit from having a canine companion living with them. They can talk to them. I don't know if, if there would be direct benefits of, of slowing the, you know, the, the Alzheimer's or dementia process, but I imagine that there would be some stimulation associated to having this type of, of companion. My thought is it would be useful. Now, I don't know how many assisted living apartments are here. 77. Okay. So if you had a service dog on this side mm-hmm. that helped with people here, like picking up stuff for someone who's dropped something from their wheelchair or um, encouraging people to take walks yeah. and keeping them safe, yeah, and then also have one in the memory residence and then have some of the more able-bodied assisted living residents maybe help with the dog that's over in the memory. Now, they're trained... To live in the residence, the dogs. Wow. Yeah. Um, I have a hard time with that because, you know, of course, I think of my dogs as family members, not working pets. Yeah. Well, they're not even considered pets. They're considered a service animal, mm-hmm. and they're different than pets. But I just, I don't know, I want to investigate this a little bit more because I just I just see the benefit. And I don't know if it's because I've had dogs forever or because I've worked with service dogs. 
And that's why I thought it'd be, it'd be fun to get your opinion. Yeah, I also think, um, you know, something that we never really looked at, um, like security, you know, in general. We don't necessarily have a security guard that's in our community. But, you know, if there were a service dog that, you know, was a community service dog, you know, I, I think it would bring comfort to our staff during the nocturnal hours of the day. Um, and, and I think it would um, establish that presence. You know, again, a lot of times, you know, we, we live in a, in a part of the world where, um, you know, these where things can happen. And so it would always be, it would be a nice comfort to know that we have that, that safety net. That's true. My girl dog. And again, I have golden retrievers, so these are the friendly clowns of the dog world. <laughs> I'm not sure that they would be a good guard dog. Mm-hmm. But when she barks, when the neighbors walk by the front door and she can see them through the glass, she sounds scary. Yeah, there's presence. Yeah. yeah. So I would think it would definitely, it would turn some people, nefarious people off. But I also picture a knock, you know, somebody during a service dog, they would live here 24 hours. During the evening, you know, the night, if you've got somebody that's agitated or just needs extra comfort or attention, yeah, dog could go snuggle. Yeah, yeah. Um, you probably don't have a lot of staff that wants to climb in the bed with a resident and snuggle. (laughs) There might be some rules against that. Yeah, and I've also I've seen service dogs have a direct impact on, um, not necessarily the senior population per se, but I I know that they have a use within, um, you know. Individuals that that have um, mental disorders, Mm -hmm. I've seen that, you know, as opposed to using, you know, antipsychotics, that they are now reverting to the use of of dogs as a form of comfort. Mm -hmm. Uh, Individuals that have the tendency of hitting themselves, they're using dogs for that purpose now, too. So I have a friend from high school who's got a blood sugar sniffing dog. Oh, which is incredible because she'll feel fine and he'll alert and she'll be like, huh? And then bam, it yeah. hits her. You know, she either gets really dizzy or she almost passes out. And that just blows my mind. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. They're just, you know, they're wonderful creatures for fun and comfort and enjoyment. But once I learned what they could do for people like us, yeah. mom, I thought, hmm. Probably something to look into some more. So I think I will do that for yeah. you, yeah, that'd, whether that'd you want good. it or not. Maybe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't know. I, you know, it's funny because I it, it sounds like a really viable um, option. Yeah, although I don't know how many companies look at it that way. You know, maybe they look at the at the cons as opposed to the pros. Um, but I really think that that is something that should be considered. I almost think you'd need one that's obviously like the police dogs. You know, ninety percent trained. The mm-hmm. the difference when the police departments get them is they're obviously trained for what that department does. I worked with Concord, and it's a larger city, about one hundred and twenty-five thousand, but it's not a high crime city. Mm-hmm. So one of the problems they had was getting dogs to actually bite on somebody because no. it'd be like, oh hey, they're over there. I'm not I'm not grabbing that drug person. Um, and people would see the dogs and be like, and just give up yeah. because you don't want to be bit by a police dog. Yeah. Trust me. So I would think a service dog for a residence, like one of the MBK residents, they'd have to have that additional training. Like what works good for the people that are here now? Yeah. So yeah, it'd have to be specific to this environment. Yeah. I mean, obviously yeah. trained for the environment, but then kind of like fine tune the training. That's probably yeah. the right term. Yeah, that, that would be. 
I think that's a new business that I'm going to get into now. (laughs) (laughs) Service dogs for assisted living. I'm going to check into it more for you. I just wanted to get your ideas, your I think it's a great idea. I never put any thought into it until right now. Well, good. Glad I could educate at least one more person. Yeah, definitely. And so what do you think? Do you think it would be fun to have a dog that worked here for you guys? I don't know. Where are you going to be? Me? Yeah. I work. I'm not a dog. I don't work here. <laughs> now, if the dog can balance out our accounting, we'd be great. <laughs> well, I'll leave it to you. The dog probably could do it as well as I could. No. <laughs> <laughs> So that's it for now. I hope to have a follow-up episode where I can tell you about all of the things I've learned in my research about having a canine caregiver for a community like my mom's. Hopefully mom's. My next step will be to talk to a client of my hubby's who is a police dog trainer and I've already sent out emails to people who are also interested in making canine caregivers for communities happen. Well, that's a wrap for this week. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did and you haven't done so already, please make sure to leave us a rating and review. This is the easiest way to help new people find our podcast. Also, All of our social media accounts are linked in the show notes. Just give them a click and you'll get all of the extra bonus content, including cute dog photos. And as always, I will be in your ears again next Tuesday.